would be nice if all the teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Hello and welcome to Ford the Hamlet. I'm Ben, as you can hear or see, and I am joined by the Ford the Hamlet record apprentice holder, Hugo. Afternoon, guys. I'm also joined by Dutch Hamlet's top goal scorer for the season just gone, Danny Mills. Good afternoon, guys. And I'm also joined, I'm very happy to say, by uh, this week's guest. It's the uh, Yeovil's top league appearance holder. Am I right in saying that, Nathan Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless up, bless up, lads. Blessings, lads. We weren't totally sure if that was right. What we've seen online suggested it is, but you never know. But you can confirm, right? You reckon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most appearances in the football league for your whole time. Nice. That's an achievement. Mm. Well, Nath, uh, thank you for joining us. This is episode four of Home Disadvantage. Um, it's our new series where we're attempting to shine a light on the lived experiences of black people in the UK and specifically in London. Um, can you just give us a brief overview of where you grew up, where you went to school, your football career to date, how you ended up at Dulwich? Um, so I grew up in North London, Wood Green. Uh, I went to school, the Bromfield School, secondary school. Um, I had a journey, didn't sign professionally until I was 21. So 21, I signed for Yeovil. Then was there for three years, went to Chesterfield. Three years at Chesterfield, won the St. Johnson's Plate Trophy at Wembley, where I was mad at a match, and also won a league there as well. Also had an experience of getting relegated, which was, was character building as well in the first season. Um, after three seasons, I ended up going to Yeovil as well. So I was there for another four seasons. Then went to Dagenham after that. And then now, then went to Dulwich after that as well. And we're here now, would you lads? <laughs> so uh, some of our listeners might not know, but you're vegan. And obviously that's not something that uh, many footballers can, can claim to be. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to decide that was going to be your sort of lifestyle choice? And also a little bit about the beliefs that informed that decision? Um, so in the beginning, it was just a thing of, you know, growing up in a, in a Jamaican culture, reggae-orientated environment, you know, you always used to hear the Rastaman them say, you know what, we don't eat meat, we don't eat this, we don't deal with this. So I remember one day just saying, you know what, let me try out, you know, pescatarian. So I tried out pescatarian for almost a week and I just felt light within myself, very, very light. Couldn't really find the words, couldn't really explain it. But then um, I then had a moment where, you know, there wasn't a lot of information upon the whole plant-based lifestyle at the time. So we used to always hear this slogan word, protein, protein, protein. So in my mind, I was thinking, I don't think I'm getting enough protein. So my friend Sam Mosey, who's a captain for Wigan, he ended up messaging me saying he's um, done 14 days vegan. So I was like, Oh, I told you about the pescatarian, which you done, and then you went on to vegan. I said, what you having? Tell me. Da, 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 da. So I ended up doing vegan for a week. And then I said, you know what? This protein word, I feel like I'm not getting enough protein, I don't think. So I ended up going back and eating the salmon. And then my whole stomach just started doing the madness. 
So that's when I said to myself, this ain't for me. And then, yeah, then the journey then started, what, five, six years ago now. And we've just been on it since then. Obviously, in the beginning, you take a few left turns and stuff to get the understanding of things. But as time went on, just progressed, progressed, progressed. And we're here now. So this life. I just noticed your T-shirt as well, one Nathan Smith. Can you just okay, yeah. tell us about that? Oh, no, so it's a company that I, I formed where we, well, well me personally, where um, I provide transferable life skills that I've had to learn off the pitch, that I've had to learn to apply on it, vice versa, what I've had to learn on it to apply off it. You know, so there's been things where, you know, like, just be, you know, in football, tempers can flare. And in the game of football, it's like a reference for me. It's like, it's like a reflection of life. Tempers can flare in all angles, but can you remain in control within that moment? Because, you know, anyone that can put you off your game effectively for the next four minutes, which is psychologically proven that you'll be off focus, you know? So those are little things that I've had to learn, even then, like, you know, off the pitch going to India. And then just be more aware of, you know, my emotions and understanding the self. So, you know, when I came back, it was more of a thing of rather than getting into confrontation at times, yeah, I might get the odd moments where, you know, you, you have a little leery moment. But I was now more mindful in the sense of, all right, cool. Rather than getting back and forth in the arguments of a player on the opposite team, it was a thing of, now, you know what? All right, cool. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. But I've already logged it whatever's happened you know what I mean so now when I know he's got the ball I know he's not going to be expecting me to clamp him because as far as he's concerned like everything's good but it's logged you know whereas before it wouldn't have been logged and it would have been back and forth and he probably might have been waiting now to give me a little elbow or something and then so now it'd be a thing of right, right cool and then now when he's got the ball just clamp him but get the ball at the same time and I think it was worked out better for me as well because I didn't, didn't have to pay many eight pounds for the yellow cards. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, just, that's what we've been doing now recently. And yeah, we've well, been doing it for a while now, going into schools and, you know, going to get into the whole um, life coaching aspect of it as well. So, and again, like I said, and now I'm designing the Vitality Journey, which is going to be 21 days plant-based, which will include, you know, gratitude journeys, um, journals, just the whole psychological effect that has been proven to work like morning routines. And like I said, I've been getting a biofrequency scan three times within the 21 days. So I have facts to prove that this works for the whole body. And then, yeah. You, uh, you mentioned a trip to India just now. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of what you learned about yourself? So, yeah, so when I went to India, I done a 10-day silent retreat. So it was no speaking, no writing, no phones, no eye contact, literally nothing for 10 days. Um, we had to sleep on a metal bed, which was low as well. They, they, there was no toilet roll there. They only had the, I don't know what you would call it, but that, the spray gun, the spray gun thing. And what they tend to use, like, I call it like a shower gun. Um, obviously, I had to shower with um, a bucket we had to wash our own clothes hand wash meditating from we had to get up for about 5 30 in the meditation hall for six o'clock six and then it involved about a good 15 16 hours of meditation having to walk near enough two minutes to go and get a liter of water and back three meals a day and 
within that whole time, you know, you, I got to understand more of myself that, you know, we're always going to continually have thoughts. You know, sometimes we have wild thoughts that may not even be anything to do with us. Do you know what I mean? But because our awareness is always recording, no matter what's happening, you know, it's always going to record like a camera. Whatever's in that camera's lens is going to be absorbed, you know? You ain't really got a pinpoint to a specific point and it's the same with us. So understanding that and understanding that these things go into our subconscious mind, we're always going to get thoughts and it's understanding that it's about us you know, controlling these thoughts and understanding that when these thoughts arrive and they may be giving us a negative feeling, that we can disconnect from the emotions that are coming up just by being objective, being aware, you know, third person. You know, if you're looking at it from third, from like a bird's eye view, then, you know, you disconnect with that whole sensation of, oh, if I'm angry about this, or I'm angry about the way someone does that. If you're now aware, which we would say, well, people use the word conscious, but it's a buzzword, but I normally just say, like, when you're now aware of the emotion, you know, there could be the moments where you're getting into a confrontation with anyone and, you know, you can feel that, that temperature gauge just rising. But when you're aware of that, then the minute now you're not reacting, then there's no meaning that you're giving to it. So, you know, they say emotions are like passing clouds. And, you know, if it's coming across and there's a swear word on there and you give it meaning, then it's going to stay with you. But if you see that passing cloud and just admire it, it's okay, nice cloud. It just continues to go. And also end up learning a whole lot more about myself, which was good. You know, I ended up learning to deal with situations completely different and came out there a better person. I don't know any other footballer who has done anything close to that. Was there, what, what, what pushed you to, to do that into your experience? Was it veganism primarily? No, do you know what? I don't know. I just hit a stage where I just kept saying to myself, I want to learn more about myself. I want to learn more about myself. But it was like, I was saying it, but it was like I didn't actually know what I was saying in a strange way. So it's like, even when I booked it, I said, you know what, rags, let me just book this one time. I'm going to book it. So I booked it now. And then like, it still didn't feel real up until maybe the day before. So it was like uh, a trigger of three things had happened where I went to, um, to Holland with a few of my friends for his birthday. And it was weird because it was set like every time we were going to a restaurant, I ended up sitting next to him. There was only a space next to him. So I thought, this is a bit weird. But then when I got back, I remember my dad came to check me. And my dad's a man who always, for the life I've known him, has always worn a suit I used to carry his briefcase. He's now turned up at my house in an all-black night track suit, some Jordans and a red bag. And I was wearing a red, I was wearing a, a black trackie as well. And I was wearing, um, I had my red bag. And it was just like, what is... What is going off here, innit? Then I see my uncle. I had to go and get my visa printed from him. And then I've gone to check him. And more time, like, me and my uncle just spud, like, yeah, look more, innit? Peace. But then this time, he just went, nah, 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 show me some love. So I said, nah, 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 nah. I don't ever want to go India no more. I feel like I'm going to die. Now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, these random things began to happen. And, yeah, no, nah, it was just literally just me wanting to learn more about myself. And we just went there. 
What was the reaction from your teammates when you came back from that? Did you talk to them about it? Ah, uh, straight away. Like, to be honest, it was known from early because when I actually went to the retreat, the guy that was doing the media at the time, I think it was Jim, he put out a... Um, he put out a, a, an article online. So by the time I've come out, there was all these messages and everything. So now when I've come back, like everyone wants to know this, they want to know that. But obviously there's also a, a large amount of banter which you know is going to flow. But that's just something I'm used to being in a game. Like, you know, when you don't live by the world, you're always throwing yourself out there to get heckled. And, you know, when I went plant-based, I got it 24-7, you know, whole teammates, staff everything you name it so as well as having to battle with the fans trying to put you off and get things right and the whole social media element you've still got your inside of your club on you and stuff so it's something I've learned to just have to to deal with and accept that listen when you don't live by the world you know you're gonna get heckled like how they just try stone Jesus they're gonna just try and stone you anyway you know talking about having to live with just dealing with things and obviously this is part of a wider conversation and I know that you want to take us through your experiences as a black man in London you want to kick kick off with what you want to cover yeah so obviously there's been a lot of stuff going off as of recent you know and you know when you speak about when was the first time that I faced any form of discrimination I think it was about when I was 13 but I wasn't aware of the discrimination until my uncle made me aware of it. You know, I was going football, so I was going on a train to Arnold's Grove them times, and literally there was this Nike, this Adidas, Adidas jacket that I wore for the second time. I had it for about a year. I remember it specifically. Yeah, so it was like a yellowy orangey and then blue arms with the stripes going down. So I put it on, gone to the train station, and Sometimes they got the sniffer dogs at the train station. So as I've gone through the barriers now, they've got the Al- Alsatians, you know what I mean? It's not the little Springer Spaniel dog, the big Alsatian. Them time there, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of dogs, innit? <laughs> so obviously I'm kind of skimmed through the dog, them, innit? I don't really want to get, you know, I'm thinking, boy, even though you know they're trained, you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And I just remember the police officer saying to me, oof, um, dog found something on you. You got to come with us. So I'm like, what? But bear in mind, the dog didn't even bark. But remember, I've just got this fear already of, of the dog. So I'm not even hearing the dog not barking. I'm just thinking, boy, just get away from the dog, innit? So they bring me into this back room. And um, as they bring me into this back room, like, I've never seen this back room before. Like, I didn't even know this back room existed. So I remember going through today. So they started searching my pockets. And lo and behold, the man took out this and he said, he goes, what's this? He had some weed in his hand. So I'm sitting there, I'm standing there like, obviously I'm 13 and I'm confused. Yeah. I just play football on the, on the ends with my friends. I go Arnest Grove and, you know, train with my friends. That's all, you know? And all of a sudden I'm seeing weed in the mouth. So I can't explain like, what's this? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I've only worn this jacket twice and I've had it for a year. No one comes into my house. No one comes into my room. So I genuinely don't know. And then, so they started asking questions. Realized my age is when they turned around and said, "All right, cool. You know, just keep out of trouble and whatnot." 
So it's only after when I spoke to my mum and my uncle about it, you know, that's when my uncle then said to me, listen, you know, these are some of the things that you may experience, you know, just because of, you know, your skin colour. And, you know, it was something that I, I, I very much understood. So he said, listen, like anytime you get searched again, you know, you empty out your own pockets and things like that. But even though I've had that experience, for me personally, like, I understand that within every sector of any environment, you're going to have some people that move like knobs. Do you know what I mean? And mm. so it's like, and I understand there's always this narrative that always gets pushed, that police are this, because growing up, if a man said, oh, feds run, everyone's running. But I'm like, when I think back at it, it's like, why are we running? We're just playing Monopoly. Mm. You know, we're on a corner, we're playing Monopoly, but we just start running for no reason. And it's like, mm. and rather than asking any questions, we just run. And then, you know, mm. so we then have that narrative growing up. It's like, all right, we, we dislike, well, we have a, 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 like a natural kind of dislike towards police. Mm. You know, but for me, like I said, as I was growing up, it was like, no, like, not everyone's the same. Yeah, you're going to have some people in the sector that are good. And there's going to be some people that, that move bad. Simple as that. You know, and I'll have another one. Um, so I've obviously had a couple of um, disputes with police. Re well, not well, one recently, but one, a few before. But they were generally my fault. One time I was going a bit too quick in Yeovil and he stopped me. But I knew he couldn't obviously tell me the speed that I was going at. And, but just the way I dealt with him, because again, like I know, yeah, that if it's a white police officer more, more time, they're expecting me as a black man to move a certain way. So when I now maneuver in a complete different way, it's like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, again, I'll just give you one more. So the day of lockdown, um, I went out to get some food. So when I've gone out to get some food, I've come back and there's only one parking space down. It was far down the road. And I'm like, I don't want to carry all these bags. So I'm like, right, call me park outside my house, park up and then bring the stuff in and then drive off. Then they turn around and so obviously yeah, one of my friends passes by, he's there and then they must have, I think, yeah, police end up coming and like they just pulled up. Bear in mind, I know I shouldn't be outside of the house for too long because of what's currently happening. So anyway, big bully band comes around the corner. I'm like, oh, here we go. It's locked down as well. Worse, no one's really on the road. You never know what can happen. So they've come out of the car and... One of them was a, was a black officer. So he has approached me, like, with his guard up straight away. Like, and the thing is, I can identify it, and I know why he's doing that. Why? Because we're in this area, and he's obviously thinking to himself, all right, he gets hackled a lot from, our own pe from his own people. So he feels like he's going to get that from me. But I dealt with him accordingly, and the other white officers, because at the end of the day, I said, listen, Listen, you man, you're doing your job in it. Right now, I should be in my yard. I shouldn't have been out here too long. Simple as that. And then by the end of it, like, the black officer was just cool. But the white officer, he didn't even want to search me no more. Do you know what I mean? He went to search my car afterwards. The back. God, oh, I didn't want to. Like, it was just like, I didn't fit that narrative. You remember that, there, that, that keeps being perceived of us. So... Yeah, we have the ups and downs and whatnot, but I guess, you know, sometimes we have to, you know, understand you have the good and you have the bad.
With the, um, I wanted to say, Nath, obviously mine and yours sort of experiences uh, or first experiences were quite early on in, in sort of our, in our age. You know, I was about 12. You said you was about 13. Yours was an incident with the police. Mine was an incident with someone that sort of owned a shop. But would you say that that innocence kind of left you at that point? Would you say you kind of had to grow up and you said you spoke to your, obviously your uncle and your uncle made you aware of what can happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying after that day, did you become a man, but did you certainly have to grow more of a thick skin from that day and that experience you had? Um, I wouldn't so much say a thick skin. I think it would just be more vigilant and more aware that, all right, these things can happen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like that's where a lot of the times things do end up going wrong is that, you know, you have one of the negative experiences and now every officer is now tarnished like that. Mm. You know, so now I wouldn't say um, I had to get the fixed again. It was just more being aware that this could happen at any moment. So next time, if it does happen, empty your own pockets. Definitely, definitely. And um, I think you use a lot of the same words that I used in, in terms of your awareness and being more vigilant. And I think that's a, a big thing with 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 black people now is that you're aware of certain situations or how certain situations can potentially de de develop um and i think one of the things that i i noticed as well is that you you see certain things and you think right this might happen that might happen like you you spoke about the police coming around the corner corner you know right i'm aware of this a, a, a situation could yeah. develop now and that's a part of us growing up as or, or being black is that you are aware that right as soon as that van comes round, there's a potential now that I can get stopped. So, yeah, uh, to I totally sort of ad identify with that as well. I'm interested in that actually, uh, Nath. When you said that even from that young age, all of you like as soon as you saw a police car, you're all like, right, bolt for it. Like that. Obviously, that that doesn't come to anyone naturally. So, was that after conversations you'd have, you'd have with your parents, or like was it older kids who did it, and then you guys did it? I think you're right. I think it's very much it was the olders. Do you know what I mean? The olders that obviously were in ones and twos. And then, you know, some that may have been around them, hear them say, police, let's run. And then now when the youngers are around us and we don't know that they're involved in anything or whatever, they see police and they're just saying, let's run. So just naturally, you're just like, all right, let's go. You know, you leave your Monopoly board there, you just hope the money don't fly away and you're gone. Yeah, I mean, like playing on the street as, as we, you know, we did as white kids. I can't ever remember us running from the police, like ever. It just wasn't, you know, you, you never all said to each other, right, let's go, because you, you just kind of wait for them to go past or you know, they, they never bothered us. Like it was never even a second thought. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. I, I think, you know what it is? I think when you start to become aware of how a lot of things have been played out, through time I think that's the element where it's like alright you understand why you run you know what I mean like you understand why you know some of the youngers the black man they may move a certain way towards police you know what I mean like and it was ever so much more clear to me during these recent incidents you know how provocative the media can be you know so as much as people may want to say oh now the media, this, the, listen, the media, they're private-owned companies. So 
So just like any other company, they need to gain attention to many things. So when you consistently see a narrative being pushed, it's going to place, you know, some form of fear into people. You know, like we can't escape of my understanding of, you know, when we speak about TV programs, like, you know, you put a program on a computer. You know what I mean? So whatever you're watching on your system is going to continually, you know, go into your subconscious somewhere. And then, you know, whatever TV series you're, work, you're working with, you know, that name changes from TV program to TV series. Now you've got TV reality in the world. Now people actually feel like this is real life. So when you understand that element there, like you completely then get, you know, all right, this is why we do certain things. But then it's now also time for us, as well as it can be frustrating, it's also time for us to be aware of the race baiting headlines and the things that people want to perceive that is racism. Where, you know, I looked, I was looking at a little study of um, um, influence. And, you know, there's two things that end up forming our influence and that helps persuade people. So just like animals, we have triggers. You know, and one of our triggers is, you know, principles growing up and what was the other one? And stereotypes, you know, and if you know the right trigger to trigger within a human, then you can get them to move at all accord. And then when I think about over this recent period of time, there was so much race baiting going off. And for a prime example, yes, obviously, you know, we hope, you know, the, the murder situation with George gets resolved and, you know, justice is served. But at this point, like, still no one can't actually say that it was racially aggravated. Do you know what I mean? But then the media spread so much. And then before you know it, there was this happening, that happening, that happening. And before you know it, we then had this riot, that riot, that riot. And then it just perpetuated into a complete set of madness to a point where it was meant to be about police brutality. And then all of a sudden, the people that were rebelling, rebelling against a pain that was being caused ended up going into smaller fractions. And then there was like a race baiting issue with black people and EDL going off. And it was like, <clears throat> how can one fraction now break down again into smaller fractions? And it's like, well, what's next? So I think when you see and aware of those kind of things, you kind of just, in a sense, accept it for what it is because people keep saying the system is broken. But the system isn't broken because the system was designed from such a long time. And I feel like, sometimes, like obviously, we, a lot of the time we've been fighting for like equality when, yes, obviously, sometimes people want to feel accepting, whatever, whereas a lot of the time it's like a lot of white people have been just dealing with equity. Do you know what I mean? So they've missed a lot of the issues that have gone off. But again, can you blame them to a degree if a narrative is getting pushed for them to see themselves in a certain light? You can't really blame some of them. The only ones you can really blame are the ones that are fully aware of it and choose to ignore it. You, you touched on like media depictions of how these things play out. And I think quite a useful example of that is uh, how the, the protests were portrayed in the media. And you look at how a lot of the press covered these mass gatherings of people getting together to, to protest and to send a message. And, you know, in the current climate of social distancing, what have you. And then you look how something like 
people going to the beach and you see these pictures of like thousands of people on the beach or congregating doing mm-hmm. something just to you know get out of the house it's a totally different uh situation and how something like that got no coverage and you know the protests are portrayed in a sort of negative light of being something that's not not a worthwhile situation and kind of undermining what other people are doing in terms of the, the health aspect yeah no 100 percent. like the health as for me obviously it's very undecisive with, with the health obviously we know something is there you know what i mean we know there's a, a virus but when we look at the statistics and see, all right, cool, you've got a 99% recovery rate. You know, a lot of the people who suffer with outward issues with the COVID had underlying health issues as well. You know what I mean? But a lot of this isn't being spoken about, which is like, well, why is this not being spoken about? You know, then you have the whole element of, if you look when COVID happened, every single station, you just call it fair mongering. It was this, this, this. And in the beginning, there was no such thing like, it was like black people can't get it. So all mm. black people were cool and whatever. All of a sudden, Idris comes out with a one video and is moving a certain way, which was like, well, this is a bit, you know? Like. And then all of a sudden, now this big thing comes out, black people can get it, or what they call it, BAME. Is it BAME, that word that they're using mm. now? Mm. Which I just think is a load of crap. Like, it's just another disrespect. In, in plain sight if you want to say black Asian say black Asian don't give us no one little word and, and you know what I mean like don't mug the team so again and like so that repetitive narrative isn't cool and even that whole BLM yeah like them people them my, myself personally I have like so much thoughts to all these people are like are they actually here really for us so it's like what is actually going off with all of that? So that's why I say, you know, being aware and just seeing things for what they are. And then, you know, learning not to react to certain things. Because again, like I said, once that trigger is, is pulled, once that race sugar comes up, we see it ourselves. Like once that race sugar come up recently, it was bananas. People were gathering on a craziness. No, they didn't care. And it was just loads of anger. Social media was just fueled with a whole lot of horrific images, which is what now damaging people's psyche. Then people are suffering now because there's that peer pressure of someone saying, oh, if you don't post, then this is how you're going to feel. Like I'm gonna, yeah, if you don't post, then I know where your stance is. Maybe someone's generally trying to understand. Maybe these images have just damaged people internally. Yeah, I mean, suicide rates going up and all sorts, you know, domestic abuse, all of these things play a massive part into it, which again, like, it didn't need to go there, but it's ended up there and it's like, well, how do we then do with that? So I'm, I'm interested in, you said that you're not, or you're a bit dubious in BLM. Do you think that it's been useful in because, you know, w- without that, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. So do you think it's been useful in kickstarting things like this and to get people to start, you know, I'm talking about specifically white people who have been educated a certain way. Do you think it's been important in getting them to start re-educating themselves? It's important because obviously, listen, don't get me wrong, it's issues being erased now. It's, it's raised and everyone now gets a, a time to now look at things. But... When you look at all the carnage that has been created from the way, like, they've done a lot of things, and then 
then you're seeing people paying people live videos paying people to go into break into shops and all of these things like well what is actually happening here you know, and like I said, and then when you're actually following like what these people are doing, because no one can't say how to get any money. Where does the support go from these people? And like I said, when you follow through where the money's going, again, you have to question what is their real, what is their real motive? But listen, there's a cause that has been brought up and now it's been aware and that's just something we need to work with. You know, like, like I said, I'm in support of black people and everything. But at the same time, like, as it's been, as it's been, as the issues being raised, we also need to, you know, take onus upon ourselves. Like Mills was saying, we, we, we've got to be aware of when certain situations are coming up and how to deal with things. Because again, like I said, like there could be the moments where, like, for example, you know how many times I've had to think before getting in a lift, this is white woman, she's got her bag. Nine times out of ten, I'm thinking, oh, here we go, she's probably going to clutch her bag a little piece. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know? And there shouldn't have to be a thing of me turning around and saying, oh, all right, cool. How do I maneuver? How do I sort this out? How do I, how do I maneuver in a way where it makes her feel comfortable? I shouldn't have to do that. Mm. Yeah. But at the same time, I also have to be mindful and know that, all right, cool. When she's done that, there's a narrative that's consistently being pushed about us, which, again, I have to understand if that is a narrative that consistently gets pushed whether it be through airways or through TV, then what else is she going to do? Because that's all she's going to know. I think that's why this is so important, isn't it, Nath? Because, you know, it's, it's those types of people that need to listen to these podcasts and, 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 and watch these conversations because it shows that we're just human like everyone else. And, you know, you, you've given a, an example, which I've gone through as well. Um, you know, even things like, like you said, going into a lift and there being maybe a, ch a child there, a white child there, you're thinking, I'm not sure about this. I'd rather take the stairs and walk five fl flights of stairs than be alone in that lift because you just, you're aware that there's a situation that could potentially develop. And in all honesty, if it's your word against theirs, mm. they're going to take their word, mm. regardless of what happens. Mm. And this is why this platform here and, you know, I, you know, I like the fact that you've obviously talked about the Black Lives Matter movement because you're someone that looks at things more deeply than what, than, than what it is on the surface. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the good things, like we're saying, is that one positive thing is that it's brought up the conversation. And if those people that are like that are more aware, then I think that this has been a positive outcome. And if that's one of the positives, then I think we can obviously move forward and, and, and continue what, what, what we're doing. And, and just that example there is probably an example that Ben and Hugo have never heard before, one that I didn't talk about, but one which I, which I could have spoken about. Mm. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, completely, like I said, the positive has, has, has been brought up from it. Do you know what I mean? And again, it's about then how do we maneuver as a set of people? Because there's a lot of people that have solutions which have been, you know, people have just not even try to even understand their solutions you know so hopefully now there could be a thing where you know people are now being a bit more aware of the people who have had solutions in place for a long time you know building up the communities which is always something that keeps being said all the time mm. but then the more that gets said the more you just see left youth, like less youth clubs and less things for you know kids to do or even anyone to do to be honest yeah
you know what I mean? So no, hundred percent right, bro. And I think follow, following on from that, we we spoke about, didn't we, uh, guys, about uh, bringing more black fans to Dulwich Hamlet. Um, I know, you know, we're obviously footballers here, and we speak about ninety nine point nine percent of the crowd being white. But it's it's easy to sort of identify a problem. But what are we doing to attract those black families to, to football if they're not the families of ourselves? What are we doing to attract the black community uh, to the games? What are we putting on? What community days are we putting on? Are we putting on a Windrush day? Are we, you know, cooking food, you know, Caribbean food, or just just for an example, what are we doing to to attract um, the communities to the club? And that's one thing that we need to we need to probably start doing. Yeah, nah. I definitely agree with that as well. You know, it's just, you know, getting involved and generally just understanding the culture. Because I feel like one thing which we've had to battle for a lot of the times, especially me myself, is that, you know, even being in Yeovil, it was like for a long period of time, I had to maneuver a way where, like, I was given a good representation of a black man. And I say that in a sense because, you know, you could clearly see it. Sometimes a white player could do something, a black player could do the same thing, but somehow it was perceived worse. You know, there's also an element where, you know, uh, I remember seeing a, a white guy turn around and be like, oh, flipping out, obviously, the swear word, flipping out, what's this all going off? And then a black man is frustrated at the same thing and then goes, kisses his teeth. But for some apparent reason, the kissed teeth, has been deemed worse mm. than him throwing up his hands and swearing. But again, there's that part there where there's a lack of understanding of that. That's just a way sometimes we express our frustration in a similar way to them. But, you know, but it's a, it's a different way. But again, it's that lack of understanding, which is where, you know, again, we revert back to the police where, you know, you have certain police officers coming from a different area, coming into London. They're never around anybody of any culture. And for them, it's like, all right, cool, I've seen this, I've seen that, this is what we need to do. You know what I mean? One of my friends, he said to me, like, he joined the police force to get an understanding and he said he wants to make a change. He said he can't be saying he wishes things were better and not himself try and make a change. So, you know, he joined the force and he said it's just been interesting. You know, sometimes there's been officers who wanted to stop people for no reason. So he's like, um, why do you want to stop them? Oh, because, um, yeah, he looks like someone that, you know, but he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, what's the reasons? Like, you know, what's the protocol? Um, no, nah, no, nah, he said, all right, cool. What we'll do is, my friend was all right, cool. What we'll do is, all right, we'll check their number plate. And if nothing's wrong on the number plate, uh, we'll tell them for a little piece. If there's nothing wrong on the number plate, we leave them be. Unless anything's coming up in any little um, incidents previously or whatever, we leave them be. So, you know, this is an element, again, where there's that whole battleground that's going off within the police force, where, again, you know, as black people, we need to also be aware that there are good people within the force trying to make a change. But then, you know, then this thing happens recently, and now every police person is, is an evil person. Nathan, I'm really interested to hear a bit more about your experiences at Yeovil, because... Obviously, as you've talked about, you grew up in London, multicultural, multiracial community, and you go to Yeovil, and it's you know it's a very white part of this country. Can you maybe talk a little bit about 
how you felt. Uh, you were also, how old were you when you, when you joined your? I was 21. Yeah, so you're a young man and you obviously kind of matured there as, as a person, as we've already heard about a little bit. So yeah, maybe just you could touch on all that sort of. And it's funny because I had a one incident which was very interesting. So I was in Asda and then this little kid, this little white kid, this little like white boy, he turned around and he went, mommy, mommy, black man. Now, I didn't know how to take it at that time. I'm thinking, is this racist? Is it not? Is it racist? Is it not? I genuinely didn't know what to think. So I remember calling my mom after. I said, mom, like, Little kid just said, you know, I am a black man. And mom just turned around, she said, nah, like, you have to understand, you know, it's a little kid in a town that don't see, there's probably no black people there. So to him, it's like, you know, like, oh, there's a black man. So I think for me, where that helped me massively when it comes to like making decisions with things was that, you know, he's only said, mommy, mommy, black man. He's not said anything that is racial or any racial slurs, which I then find interesting because it's like, well, when certain things happen, or say, for example, like a white man trying to describe a player for another team, and then he gets a bit jittery because he doesn't want to say, oh, um, it's a, oh, the, you know, the, the black lad. He doesn't want to say the black lad when it's like, bro, like he's black, in it? So it's not like you're saying any, but obviously some people are so jittery to use it because of all the stuff that's around it. So, yeah, no, so that was, that was one of the first incidents that I ever really uh, was exposed to. But other than that, in the beginning, it was a different experience because like you said, I've been in London, like multicultural. And now I'm in a, a town where literally it's going super, super slow and there's just loads of white people. But felt very, very welcome. And I feel like that then helped me, like, you know, change my, not that I didn't have, not that I had a negative perception anyway, but, you know, it helped, shall I say, improve my awareness of different kinds of people. You know, I never experienced anything racial over there. And, you know, all the people were very warming, welcoming. They were friendly. To be honest, is people over there that taught me, in a sense, you know, to be more friendly. In the sense of, you know, morning and blessings. Because like, everyone just said hello. You know, but then you come back to London and sometimes you look at a man and you kind of say hello and it's like, you know, so again, it got me to understand, you know, different cultures and how different people can be. So it almost seems like you kind of learned there that people are kind of inherently good or at least want to try and be good. And in London, maybe we've got it wrong. I wouldn't say so, because you know what? There's going to be some people, I'm saying where I'm from in London, you know, you would get the people that just push up their face. But in other areas in London, you'll see people now and they'll say hello. And I think what I've come to learn more and more especially being on the whole plant-based lifestyle and, you know, really understanding nature is that as the seed, so the fruit. You know what I mean? So we don't need to quibble with people. We don't need to argue with people because inherently, whatever's latent in that seed, once it gets its nourishment within the environment, it's going to grow and that's going to come out. So if there's a person who's being racial, racist, like, that's embedded in them from a long time. And if we know that, you know, the first seven years of your life are the most important years, they say, because it shapes you and is like a, it makes you run off a program, then if a young kid has been exposed to racism for the majority of that, those seven years 
that's going to come out of him somewhere along the line, isn't it? And it's a thing of, you know what, like, it's like, be aware. I think there's that quote in that saying in the Bible where, you know, you know, be aware because obviously a man may sin, but he may not know that he's sinning. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's when I then got to understand clearly because, again, if we're coming into this world from a place of love, then the only thing that can deter you away from love is certain teachings that you've had to uh, take on board from growing up. So, yeah, like, all those things have just been very much clearing and just being very much understanding upon the, upon the way. You're a man that um, has learned a lot in the past few years after everything you've told us in terms of lifestyle choices and what you eat and how you train your mind. So do you, you seem to be positive and in the frame of mind that people can unlearn that programming because you had to unlearn certain things and aspects of your life. Yeah, Jerry, you know what? It is very simple, but it's not simple because if you're not aware that you're doing bad things, then you're just not aware, in it? Like, and if you don't want to admit to yourself that the way you're treating people or how you're saying things to people is not nice and it's making them feel a certain way, then you're going to continue going that direction. So it's as simple as that. Like, if that person's going to be like that, you just got to maneuver in a different direction. You know, so getting involved in a lot of the little squabbles and whatnot, it's not really going to help to a degree. There may be that odd moment where someone, if they want to listen, because for me it's like, listen, if a person wants to listen, then cool, we can reason. You know, if it was a racist person and he said, cool, like, let's talk. Like, let's, I want to understand your point of view. And I'll be there for the combo because, again, now I'm knowing, all right, you know what, you genuinely want to understand. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know something's not right. So you want to have that combo. If you don't want to have that combo and you feel like you ain't doing nothing wrong and you want to continue with racial, direct racism or racial slurs, then what's the point of wasting time with people like that when, you know, I've got to build up myself and support my family and my friends around me. And then obviously it's that thing of where as a black man, if I'm doing what I need to do, then that has to create a knock-on effect to another black boy or that black man, black woman, a whole black family to say, you know what, let's maneuver. You know, if I'm making sure, listen, like I have a, my family household is built, then there's a key stability that shows within the black community now, right? Cool. You know what? This man's done things in a wicked way. He's got his family together. They're building up a, a big foundation and everything. Then that will then show, all right, cool. Listen, this is some of those things I could then say, listen, this is the key. You know, but if our households, aren't as strong and unified because again, you know, a lot of the households are, can be a bit broken. But for me, I'm around a lot of black people that are married, you know? So for me, I see what that does. But and again, your environment will play a big role in it. But for me, again, like as a black man and as black people, we need to, you know, make sure there's respect for each other first and foremost. And because I'll say something like this, like, for example, like, you know, when we talk about rep repetition of narratives and stuff now, a word I dislike the most is that N-word. You know what I mean? I don't care who uses it. I don't like it, yeah? Because when you think about where it came from, it was for straight degradation of our people. Now, if now a black man is happy to call the black, next black man the N-word consistently and happily, then what do you really feel like the white person or the other person is going to feel like... Hey, when you feel like they're going to feel like eventually, like subconsciously, there's going to be a thing of, you know, 
what a term to use against one of your own people. No matter how much you want to try and turn it into a good word, there's been too much negativity associated with that word there to try and turn it good. So again, and I say like, some, a lot of the time we still have to take accountability. Yes, we know there's that, you know, that undercover oppression that goes off and sometimes blatant, but we still have to take accountability of our own reaction and understand that if this was being drilled into the minds of people for so many years, we've now got to create something different in a way to, you know, veer away from that to build up ourselves and our people. You're both of a similar age, right? You're like late, late twenties. Me? Both of you? Nah, I'm 29. I'm young. I'm young, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm 33 still. 33? Yeah. 29 or 30? Nah, it's a plant-based lifestyle. You get me? Keep me. Go, yeah. That's a promo for it right there, isn't it? <laughs> Do you guys feel that as black men, as you've approached the age that you are now, you felt more engaged with the what you just talked about in terms of using certain terminology to like talk to your mates or whatever do you feel more confident and more uh willing to like call up call other people up on that when they're using the same language do you feel like you're like trying to promote better ways of of living as black guys yeah I, I i would say so i think the older you get and i said the more you more you educate yourself and the more you, um, the more you're aware of your, your your surroundings, and I think one of one of the things that that Nathan has spoken about, which resonates with myself, is trying to change that narrative and get your own household in order, your own house in order. So I remember when I spoke to Nathan um, when he first came to the club, when we sat down, because me and Nathan sat next to each other in the changing rooms. And, you know, I said, oh, yeah, I got married last summer, et cetera. And one of the first things that he said was, nah, that's, that's good. We need to see more of that. We need to see more black, black men married, you know, getting married and, and, and stuff like that. You know, it's not necessarily as common as what maybe people might think, et cetera. And what I've tried to do, particularly in my own life, is I've really tried to, to, do, to do the best that I can for myself and then try and help those through my experiences um, and, and try and guide, you know, younger generation or even people older than myself. Um, so whether that means, you know, you know, buying my first house, getting married, a certain job, you know, I've always tried to give my, give my, pass down my experiences and, and it then does change that. It starts to change that narrative. You've, you've got your own house in order. Now I'm going to speak about, speak to Nathan about mm. how I, how I got to where I was or what I've achieved how you know how did you go about getting married how did you know you wanted to get married how was you able to to get your place how was you able to do that job nathan then gets his own house in order nathan decides right now i want to sort of get a place or do this or do that nathan's cousin or brother or sister or, and then it, and and then it just goes on and on and on and the more you, the older you get the wiser you get yeah now i definitely agree with you bro like Everything you've said there is spot on, you know what I mean? And I feel like it is, can be a bit difficult though at the same time where you may hear some people use derogatory terms, especially the N-word, but it's like depending on where you are and if you're consistently hearing it, even though they continue to do it, 
sometimes it's just like, you know what, if you want to continue to create your own, just don't be dealing with me in that way. You know what I mean? Because I don't respect that. And if that's how you want to continue to be, then, you know, so be it. Let me ask you two a question, Ben and Ugi. <laughs> what are your thoughts when you hear, you know, black people referring to themselves as the N-word? I mean, as a kid, we, we listened to a lot of, like, Jarrell and Nas and loads of rap music, right? And it was, it was used multiple times within each track. And so, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Surrey and then, you know, in a town that was slightly multicultural, not really, probably like, I don't know, eight out of ten people were white. And then I moved out west towards Bristol where ten out of ten people were white. And so I didn't have much experience with black people at all growing up. And then the only real exposure I ever had, or like consistently, was because we all listened to loads of rap music was through music and the use of that word was prevalent and you end up thinking that it's a fine word to use not maybe you know definitely not for me i remember as a white teenager being like no there's no way i'd use that word like never but you just assume that it's fine for like the next black kid to use it with his mates and you don't really bat an eyelid when you hear it that that was my experience even though you knew that it was a really bad word and okay and like even I'm just remembering now like like growing up in like college and then even in like my early 20s you'd hear I'd hear white guys like using it like jokingly like and not even talking to to a black guy like like between two white lads they'd use it as like a joke or whatever and just like and I think because it had probably been like trivialized from the music that we listened to growing up and it was, ne it was never, we were never told that it was, you know, you don't do your own research at that age. So you don't realize the connotations of it, right? So then it got to the, you know, some of us got to the age of like 20, 21 and you'd, and you'd hear it and, pe and people would just be using it like it was, it was fine in like colloquial context, which never, yeah. it never sat right with me. Like I always, and I'm, I'm not annoyed because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, beat myself up about it but at the time you know I could I could have said something to my mates because I knew it was wrong I, I knew they shouldn't have like used it whereas now I'd 100% call them up on it and I, I did last year I remember doing it at one point last year and yeah but, but growing up it, it was just part of the of what we thought as white kids was part of the black kids vocab mm. yeah I totally echo that and say that it was kind of like music that was really the, the main place where you'd hear that word and you kind of just think like oh, okay probably wouldn't use that myself but you know it's there it's something that is in the vocab and then yeah we sort of we've been talking about unlearning things and I think I guess it's when you get a bit older that you're able to sort of take a step back and be like right that's that's not something I want to hear in any context and hear it like actually really interesting to hear you you talk about it and, mm. and say there's something that you would discourage and and maybe just like reflecting on that you know it's it's you you speak about ways in the way that you want to want them to be reflected back at you so you know if 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 your black mates are using that word and white people see that then they you know 
to them it's a license to keep using it mm. so it's it's yeah it's sort of like all of these things with with language you have to be quite quite careful with how it comes across but yeah there was a question i was going to ask uh i think we might have spoken about it last time danny um like briefly but i didn't actually i don't think it's right that i ask either you or nate i should probably ask you go to be honest like why why are white people like some of them are terrified of using the, the word black like when you when they're talking about black people do you think it's like i don't know what it is do you think do you think it's just a complete like lack of awareness of whether or not you can use that word Yes, it's interesting that you both mentioned this now in the conversations that we've had, you both brought it up. And yeah, I think it probably just stems from like not wanting to offend, but also probably more deeply not understanding and not 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 engaging with the fact that like you sort of own that culture really well and it's something that you wear on your sleeve and uh you know yes it's a funny one i think yeah like it's definitely comes out quite a bit in football when like you're trying to describe a player like oh like, yeah the, the tall center back oh which one <laughs> black one yeah yeah and yeah it kind of just becomes like this hushed word even though as you both said it really need not be do you think it's because we're just, as, as white people, we're totally not used to talking about race? Like, we're not even used to saying the word white. Like, we don't define, a lot of the time, you don't define yourself as white. Like, we just don't talk about it much. Like, oh, that white kid or, like, white girlfriend or, like, whatever. So, so any chat about being mm. just a bit like, we don't really know what's going on or, like, how, how to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I don't particularly feel defined by my race and I rarely ever talk about it. It's just a box you occasionally have to put in on a questionnaire. It's not something to engage with. Um, See, that's mad that you say that, yeah, because... I was thinking that, yeah. That is mad because... <laughs> crazy. The amount of times the word black comes up in so many things is bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And when you're talking like that, you're saying you can't, the only time is when you're filling out a little form or something. I'm like, that is mad because we always see some form of black somewhere or a word or a sounding. And I think, apart from me, I'm like, you know what, what possibly, you know, can make white people feel a bit nervous to say the word black? Because, you know, when you think of back in the day or even certain times now, when people are ready to say racial things, they'll say you black whatever it is to follow mm. you know what i mean and then you think of you know back in the day when they say no blacks no dogs no irish mm. you know what i mean so there's all of that connected to it which is why i feel for some people at the same time because i'm like there's good in this culture and there's bad in that culture and somewhere along the line it's like everyone has to suffer so wherever a white man's being racist the non-racist may have to suffer somewhere along the line you know Whereas uh, a black man might be doing something bad, the good one ends up more or less suffering as well because down the line there's a narrative that consistently gets pushed and all right, cool, now all black people, we do this. And now when a white person sees us manoeuvring a completely different way, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you was like that. Well, what else was I meant to be like? I think, I think what's important as well, Nathan, and I, and I said this in, in, in the previous show was that 
as black people, we are proud to be black. Mm -hmm. We are proud of who we are and our heritage and where we come from and where our parents and our grandparents came, came from. We, we're proud of who we are. We're, we're not shying away from, from who we are. And I personally, and I'm sure, Nath, there's no offence in you saying, oh, Danny Mills, yeah, the black striker. No one, I'm not going to be like, why are you saying black? Or Nathan's not going to say, oh, I'm the black defender. We are black people and we are proud to be black. And, and, and I think that's one thing that I always like to make very, very clear um, is that there's no, we don't, I don't see it as a, as a hindrance. I don't see it as a, oh, I wish I was this or I wish I was that. No, we're, we're proud of who we are. And I think I wanted to follow on from that, Nathan, ask you about heritage and, and identity. Mm -hmm. So you obviously represented Jamaica, which is one of the, the greatest honours you can ever do is represent, you know, represent your country and, and represent the country of where parents, grandparents were. Yeah. And I wanted to know, and Hugo and Ben wanted to know is, how do you identify? You've, you've represented a, a country, um, an, another country that you haven't obviously lived in as long as you've lived here and grown up here. And obviously I know you very well and you're very in tune with your roots, very in tune. Obviously we, we, we've both grown up in Jamaican household, eaten Jamaican food, gone to Jamaican parties, you know, et cetera. We, we know the culture well, but how do you personally, you've obviously taken on more of the culture, I would say, than what I have in terms of the veganism and, and things like that. How would you personally identify it? It's just me true and true. Like literally anything that I do, it's just there. You know what I mean? Like literally anything I do, just know that it's gonna, you know, once I get where I need to get to, it's just, it just comes out with me naturally. Like it's one of the best things that I know I've been involved in just growing up in a culture. You know, it's a place where you can just literally, there's nothing really offending. When you understand the culture, it's literally everything about it is just pure. Like people just want to have fun, enjoy themselves. Something that you may seem as rude in England isn't even rude over there. Mm -hmm. So again, now that's where there's that lack of understanding with cultures. So a man may say something and all of a sudden a man's thinking over here is rude. Like I said, mm -hmm. with the whole kiss teeth argument. Mm -hmm. But literally you go to Jamaica, every white person I know that being Jamaica, one of the best times they've ever had. Mm. But then, you know, you'll have the other element, oh, Jamaicans, this, oh, Yardies, da 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 da, da. Mm. You know, but again, like, I know the position that I've been in going over there and, you know, literally having the country full support of you, it was a completely different feeling. Mm. You know what I mean? A whole country, literally, if you won a game, it's like everyone's happy, like the whole town is happy and like, and it's a feel that you can't really explain, but you know, if you actually can bring something home just for them to get excited about, it's a complete different feel and, and respect. But for me, it's definitely like I've been to many places and for me personally, it's the best place that I've, I've ever been to. You know, through all the holidays that I've been, it's just like, it's the one place where I can go and just literally, you can be so active, but you're actually feeling like you're getting a rejuvenation at the same time, you know, through the, the laughter, the food, the environment, the people, everyone's warming. Like, it's just, it's a place that I just, it's, it holds dear to me, you know what I mean? Like, I've, um, 
I've been there a few times myself. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is that, I mean, I haven't been as a sort of as an adult adult now, I've, you know, I went in my teens and stuff, but one of the things is that when you go, do you feel like, although we are, we're born here, we are raised here, did you feel like you were home in some, in, in, in a sense? Did you feel that you had the roots are so deep uh, of, of, of where you, of, of, of being a Jamaican, of Jamaican heritage? Did you feel like comfortable with where you were and felt like, you know what, this is, this is, the, this is the home of my, my ancestors, grandparents, great grandparents, etc. Um, in the beginning, not straight away because it's like, you know, you go into a new environment, not being mm. there before, it's like, oof. But then literally when I was 16, after the first week, the second week went quick. My mum was like, it's time to, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, we can't go yet. Like, we can't mm. go. Mm. And then I think when I was 22, 23, like every year after that, I went to Jamaica like seven years on the spin. Like, mm. had to go. You know what I mean? Like, it's just wicked. And like I said, but it took a little while, a first week or so. And then afterwards, my international team was a bit difficult in the beginning because, again, like there's that lack of understanding sometimes with the player. Because you're trying to get an understanding. You hear this, you hear that, you hear, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to get some of the players. They don't like seeing the English players come because, you know, there's that element of, um, you know, they're taking food off of my plate. So mm-hmm. you kind of like, there's now another discrimination you're having to battle against to a degree, yeah. you know, until you get an understanding. And then you also know that there's a, a discrimination battle, even in Jamaica, where you have like, oh, this person's black, that one's red, that one's... So mm-hmm. now I'm going into a different environment where it's no longer black racist, white racist, Asian. It's now black people now segregating themselves more and more and more into small fractions. So again, but then after like a week or so, or even less than a week within the national team, it was like, I understood it. Do you know what I mean? You understood that that man's not rude. Mm. You just have to walk in Jamaican course, you just got to walk in the room. Well, go on. What's everyone saying? I know, and they will just start chatting to you, but if you go into that environment and you're kind of quiet, unless it's a person that is understanding to all of that, then you may feel a bit like, oh, like, oof, you know, but once you step in the room and you just chat like normal, you chat to people, Everyone's cool, man. Everyone's welcoming. And like I said, best place for me, man. Best place. Rejuvenating, good food. I just need to go back now and really just stay mm-hmm. in the hills now for a little... You know what I mean? Country. Do, do sarsaparilla roots and them thing there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I genuinely just feel like everything has to come from a place of understanding from people who genuinely want to understand. Yes, we know when we identify ourselves from an isolated view, you know, I'm Nathan, you're Millsy, you're Hugo, you're Ben. But, you know, if we were, and then obviously then we start seeing colour women, all of this, all this perception. But if you look at a grand scheme of things, and if we looked at the earth from a bird's eye view, what would we all be? Just be a human race. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there's that identification to understand. And remember, a lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, there's a one source, whatever they call it, God, Allah, you know, the creator. You know, well, if then, you know, in a sense of like, if we're disputing with each other, let's come from an understanding that, yo, if you're disputing with your family or whoever it is, you're not then just disputing with just that person by himself. Because if we all are 
connected to that creator, as many will agree, especially in religious texts, then if I'm arguing with Millsy, I'm not just arguing with Millsy. That's an isolated view if I'm arguing with him. But on a worldly view, I'm arguing with Millsy's wife. You know what I mean? His dad, his uncle, his mom, like all of that. You know, Ben, if I'm arguing with you, I'm not just arguing with you. Hugo, if I'm not just arguing with you, I'm going to be technically arguing with everyone. So I feel like we have to come from that place of understanding everyone, not just, you know, white people. It's every single race. Do you know what I mean? And for all of those who generally want to have that true understanding, you know, we welcome the conversations. You know what I mean? And like Mildy said, and I said to you boys in the beginning, like, ask me anything, you know, even if it seems a bit touchy for you lot, but as long as you lot are asking the questions, I'm happy to ask. As long as we know there's no disrespect from either, either parties, I'm not here to disrespect you, you're not here to disrespect me, no one's here to disrespect Mildy, vice versa. Then, yeah, man, we just move together in a, in a, in a good place of harmony and then build up. Talking about sort of uh, understanding, you, you you both kind of get out there yourselves and you you chat in schools and other environments. And can you do maybe talk a little bit about your your work in those different kind of situations? Can I go first, Mills? Yeah, um, I think one of the things I want to follow on as well, Nath, Just after this is what you've you know what's your what's the solution to everything that's happening? How can we how can we come about change? But I think. Certainly with, with going, into, going into schools and speaking about maybe your journey, about your experiences, um, it certainly, I think it opens up people's minds. I think you can certainly open up people's minds and, and use certain parts of their brain that they've never used before. Or I'm sure you guys have, in, in the last week, have been blown away, blown away by some of the things that you've learned. And it's just about teaching and educating. And us, me and Naif, in, you know, as, as black men, we want to try and bring positivity because we want to influence the next black man or woman. And we want them to inf- influence the next black, black man or woman. And we want to, you know, Naif kept talking about narrative. We want to change narrative. I want someone to look at me and not just, I don't really, I don't want them to see me as, oh, you know, the black guy, you know, he might be a bit, I want them to just see me as Danny or Millsy. I don't want it to be so you, you don't want to identify and see someone as the color. And you guys, you speak about how when you're growing up, you never use terms like white, black, and things like that. Nave said we're we're a human race. We're one people like one people. And that's how you want it to be perceived. You wanna you wanna just be perceived as a as a good human being who can contribute to society. That's that's how I want to be personally anyway. I, I don't wanna be I don't want to be seen as this or that. I just want to be seen as someone that is given a positive change. And when they when they look at me, they're not they're not they're not looking at a guy that oh he he might he might be a drug dealer or oh, he's driving a certain car that, that he can only have got that because of a certain reason. Or you don't want to see that. You just want to see someone that has done well for themselves who are trying to to be positive, trying to help other people in in, in that process. Well, no, see all that. That's proper. Yeah. Because again, even when you just, I just quickly touch on that last narrative, it's like that is such a narrative that consistently gets pushed. Okay, you see a, a black man in a nice car, and why is it some of the time the first perception someone may have is, oof, I wonder if he's even legit. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, even I can have them thoughts at times, and it's like, why do these thoughts come into my mind? 
But again, I understand a narrative that consistently gets pushed. And I'm like, no. Like, but I understand what has happened in the past that has had me in a way to have to think like that. You know, and so you're right with the whole narrative. That narrative it has to change. And you know, if you know, if we're doing things like this and Hugo and Ben are doing things like this, then it has to change that narrative. Do you know what I mean? And so I, when I go into the schools and I speak, I always use a metaphor of, you know, trees. Uh, there could be one tree, there could be a bunch of trees around and one tree with all the leaves and the rest of them ain't got any leaves. But what a tree does in nature is through its roots that are fully much grounded. And like I said, nature tells us so much about life. Like if we are firm within us, our, our, our foundation, then we can begin to, you know, grow. And then the roots underneath that go into the soil, they will shoot down into the soil a good 200 feet plus, And they will give life to every other tree around it. So just like how Millsy was just saying, you know, doesn't want to be perceived as this, doesn't want to be perceived as that. Just want to be Millsy. Millsy that's trying to make a positive change. So same way like how Millsy can do that and how the tree will just give life now, more energy to the other trees. And then before you know it, all the other trees now have fresh branches. They've got fresh leaves. And effectively, that is all the message that, again, like Millsy, I didn't even say anything about Millsy is taking it out. You know what I mean? And, and that is a message that we just want to get out there. You know I mean? I'm Nathan. You know I mean? I'm Nathan having a human experience and I just want to bring some goodness, some positive vibes to everyone. You know what I mean? Yes, I understand, you know, I have a skin colour, a black skin colour, but I would not let that define me and hold me back in any struggles and attach to a narrative and, you know, keep saying, you know, things like uh, understanding that words are powerful and then me walking around consistently saying black lives matter. It's going to make me feel like, okay, maybe there is another race that is superior to me. No. I know my people, them, they're vital, you know? So me knowing that, I don't need to say that because my actions and my movements will embody that. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make anyone feel like they're inferior or superior. No, it's none of that. You know, I'm going to walk as Nathan. And like Millsy, he's going to walk as Millsy. We're going to manoeuvre and get works done and spread goodness. So it's really nice to hear you be so positive. I think with the amount of, even with the amount of like reading and like listening and watching to loads of new sources of information over the last few weeks, like that we, that a lot of us have been doing, it's quite easy to get bogged down in quite a lot of negativity. And I, I, what, I expected it to a point knowing a bit about you, but I'm, it, it really, um, don't know what the right word is, but I'm really glad just to hear you be so positive. It makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, no, like I said, man, I know they are, like, most of this narrative keeps getting pushed about the racism. I can't play stupid and say there's not good white people and there's not good Asian, there's not... We know there's good in everything. Do you know what I mean? Flipping... In this is water, innit? Yeah? I could drink this, and this is hydrating me. But I could also take this and lick it over someone's head. When I drank it, it was used for good. But when I hit it over someone's head, it was used for bad. 
Do you know what I mean? So that's the element I always take and I will never, never go with a majority set of people. There's been things I've had with my own mates where I've tried to make them see, listen, like what was said there wasn't even racial. But I can see there's so much emotion, which is what I feel the pain of my people then. You know what I mean? Like I understand and it's because I understand where it's all coming from as well. And then when you don't really have, because when you think of it, we're never really told how to think and deal with our emotions. We're just thrown out in the real world after a period of time. You know, we grow up in, we grow up in nursery, we sit there, we move and over. Then we go into primary school, we have to sit down, we have to then put our hands up to ask a question and, you know, that is the same thing again. And you get into secondary school and then you go even more robotic. There's nothing about understanding how to deal with your emotions and be aware of your emotions. It's just the same routine and all of a sudden, Boom, you're out in a big wild world and you don't know what to do now when these things pop off. So I feel the pain of my people then when like these moments happen because when that whole period was going off, I could feel it. And it's when I made a post about on Instagram and I said, listen, um, obviously I know a lot's been going off recently, but you know, take time out from social media if you need to. You know, go to the go to the forest, do some breathing, do some meditation, take time out to recharge. Like, don't let the situation pressure you into feeling like you have to do this now, you have to do that. Like, you have to take time out for yourself in order to be able to help others, you know, because if you are mentally drained, it's not gonna help anything. And so many people message me, whether it be on WhatsApp or even um, DM, just saying, like, listen, I actually needed to hear that because. And this is even sometimes black people as well. Do you know what I mean? A lot of them felt pressured, but it's like, we have to, it's like on a football pitch. You know what I mean? Like, I know Millsy is a striker. Yeah, I know Millsy and a defender. So if I put Millsy in a position to do some kind of defending, give or take, he might do the job, he might not do the job. I'm not a striker, so I may take the chance, I may not take the chance. But one thing we do know is that I'm a defender and Millsy knows he's a striker. So we know our position on the pitch. So again, it's like where this whole battle comes up with this whole um, this, the oppression, it's that like everyone just has to understand their position and you know, maneuver in a way where it's going to better your people because first and foremost, you've got to better yourself first before you can help anyone else. You know, like I said, like when Mosey spoke about marriage and it's funny that you remember that, that first thing I said to you, I'm like, brother, I rate that because you know, there's a narrative that continually gets pressed that the black household is, is a mess. But there's an organization that I, I work with sometimes called Father to Father. And they've clearly shown me that, listen, the white man up in Brighton, yeah, he's suffering a lot and a lot of them are suffering as well because their dad's not around. So then again, it showed me that all what they choose to put as a narrative is always going to be that stronghold. But no one's not really understanding the, true, the trueness of what's going off in a, in a white area, the majority of white area at the same time. So I think that's why I just learned to just, you know, pick little things out and just take a level of understanding rather than moving with emotion. Because when we move too much emotion, there's no real solution that sometimes move with emotion at times. So sometimes we've got to be logical and then fusing the emotion and then and then score the goal. I like Someone's got it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to try and take some of that attitude forward as we go through this series. I think I think it's a really good way of approaching things. And thank you for 
taking the time to speak to us and contribute. It's been uh, it's been really interesting. Interesting guy, man. Yeah, totally. I'd I'd absolutely echo that. And yeah, again, it sort of all plays back because I mean, I've read about you. I know about your career, and I had certain expectations maybe about how you would find certain situations and no you just you kind of come at it with your own your own spin and your own energy and you make it what it is and yeah in particular I kind of enjoyed hearing about being at Yeovil and just you finding that yeah like people people are all right really and I think it's taking taking the time to to have that understanding and listening and putting it into action I think one good thing would be, I think, is, you know, from you lot's awareness of the whole situation and, you know, seeing all the images and everything that consistently gets thrown out there. From your point of view, what do you feel like could be a good solution? Apart from, obviously, I know you're not doing this brilliant, you know what I mean, raising awareness, but from your point of view, other than this, what do you feel like, you know, could be a good solution for white people to take towards this. How do you mean? So just a solution in the matter, you know, you know, be more aware of like the narratives that continually get pushed about black people. You know, like what do you feel like, you know, white people could do to, you know, help their awareness with the whole situation and just to kind of, again, make us sometimes feel comfortable. Like I said, you know, you get the lift situation where, Man's walking into a lift and then the white woman will, you know, hold her bag or I'm walking on the street and then the white man sees me and he, he starts tapping his pockets like he's forgotten something. And then he turns back and then I walk five minutes, I walk like 10 yards down the road, I look back, he's now walking back behind me. And again, it's not like, this ain't like a, a one-time issue. These things happen multiple times, you know, so what do you feel like they could do? Personally, I think, I thought about this. I thought this way for a long time. Anyway, it's all about education, right? And I think that, and I, and by education, I mean specifically when you're a young kid at school and you are taught about the social makeup of the environment that you're living in. So, and we're taught, and we teach kids in this country accurate and factual history of particularly colonialism and the history of black people in the UK because when because at school I was taught like colonialism's good like we we went and took our education to other countries across the globe you know and we helped we helped build their society and we made them into that great nation that they are today whereas actually you know we raped and pillaged our way to stealing people's lands and murdering hundreds of thousands if not millions of indigenous people that's not taught to us so then you grow up not being totally unaware of the difference in reality to what you've been taught mm. I think that that then affects how you you race like completely right from a really early age and i think the key is and then you know that will inform if you think about it, really, change will only come from from government, right? In terms of systemic change, actual structural change will come from government policy, mm-hmm. and the citizens the citizens elect the government. The only way that you can make an educated decision 
and elect the right people into government who are going to make the right decisions for the people is if those people have all the facts. And if you're taught that colonialism is good, you're, you're going to vote in the wrong people because you've got a set of values which are skewed. So I, th I think it starts from as early as possible. I think, I think it starts the school curriculum and in particular history. Mm. So that's on you, Hugo. No, <laughs> that is definitely on Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just a bit of context here. I told the guys before we went on air that, uh, yeah, I'm going to start my training to become a history teacher uh, in September. So, um, yeah, it will be on me in the classroom. But I think, you know, like from a sort of teacher's point of view or like any any situation really um it's having that bit of empathy and i think milsey last week going over some of his experiences you today sharing some more experiences with us it's like obviously we know that like the the odds are against you you're more likely to be pulled over if you're black like any of these sorts of situations but it's you need to stop thinking about it as just a passive thing that happens to people and knowing that like it's not just oh that's that's long that that's happened again that's it's a waste of my time it's frustrating the consequences are deeper than that it has like a a drip effect that you know it wears people down it continues these narratives of oppression of oppression that we've been talking about so i think maybe in answer to your question nathan about what what we can do like it takes like a split second to have a thought process in, in your mind it's so quick just take quick thought to think like this interaction that i'm having with the black person am i treating this the same as if you were white and you take that you have the thought and you enter it and go right how can i make you feel more comfortable how am I not going to wear you down and make you feel oppressed and make you feel marginalized as you have been in so many other social situations throughout your life? Um, so I think that was something that really kind of came to me when we were chatting last week and has been reinforced this week. I don't know if people are able to kind of deal with that in their own different ways in the way they lead their own lives. I think one thing which is good, I think you mentioned when you said history, it made me think back. And it was a thing where I was like, again, I'm very key on images and imagery. And I know it's any time there's a, an incident that comes up with black people a lot of the time, I always tend to see a lot of pictures coming up in, in black and white. Now, we know a lot of the time during the slavery times, it was a lot of black and white days and, you know, obviously the, the, the imagery. And it's like, the more and more that that imagery comes up, especially with um, an, an incident that is surrounded by racism, it's only going to trigger off, you know, thoughts of more oppression to the people because that's what you tended to associate a lot of the, the slavery times around, especially when there's now nowadays pictures coming in black and white. So, and then even then you look at certain movies and it's a thing of, it's like, well, why do I need to see Roots? a remake of Roots again. Why do I need to be reminded of, you know, the white man used to do this to us and we were this. And why do I need to see that again? You know, and there's some things that can be very subtle, which some people don't even really see. So for example, like, 
a lot of people didn't notice this in the Black Panther movie. Now, brilliant movie, enjoyed it, everything. But it was like, it kind of reflected a lot of what had happened previously within years, like before slavery. And it was like, so I can't remember his name, but obviously the white man, he got injured and then they brought the black people, brought him into their, their kingdom and everything. And before you know it, who in a sense was the hero on a subtle level? Because he then came out, he, he then got better, he jumped into the spaceship or whatever, and then he come true and he helped the people them. Now, again, these little things that people don't, may not notice straight away, they're little gems that continually always get dropped within movies to obviously play with our subconscious, to continue making people feel a certain way, even if they don't. So, again, we've got to be very much mindful. And again, like when you're doing your history stuff, it'd be good if, you know, you're maneuvering away even further than, you know, slavery days. Further than Martin, because before slavery, there was a whole episode of things going off, which black people were brilliantly involved in. But curriculum only want to talk to you about Queen Elizabeth and, well, they didn't even tell me nothing about Martin Luther King when I was in school or anything. But, you know, history goes further than that. You know, so even if there's a way where maybe the curriculum doesn't say you can do this, but boy, you hold a little after school club and you say, all right, cool. We're going to educate the kids them on something further than that, where black people were shown to thrive and the stuff that we used to make, which were stolen from us, you know? So yeah, man, I look forward to seeing that, Hugo. <laughs> Thank you, mate. <laughs> um, I think we can wrap it up. Nate, we're going to stay on the line just because, uh, we're going to have a little catch-up. All right then, lads. And have a little summary. But thanks again, man, for your time. It's a pleasure, lads. I like this. I like the fact that you asked us some good questions and you got involved. And I said, like, that's all what's needed, man. Just genuine combos. Don't feel a way to ask. Obviously, you know the people who you can ask these questions to. You know, and, like, I feel like it was good. You asked me and Millsy some good ones. And people just need to see it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate you giving us some time. Cheers, Nate. I'll message you later. All right, lads. Benji, nice you one. go. Millsy, peace. peace. Take care, mate. Wait, no, no. Play like swaggering dandies is the Hamlet, dude. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it.